Hello and welcome to the Career Competitor Podcast with me, Steve Meller. And as always, we are the show that seeks to light that competitive fire within you in order to jumpstart or optimize your career. Delighted to have my first guest joining me for 2022. And that's right, I did take January off in relation to interviews, mainly because I really wanted to hammer down exactly what it was I wanted from my interviews, from my guests this year. And the best way to sum that up is specificity. I want a little bit more specificity from my guests when they come on. A specific theme, maybe one or two lessons that we really go over, we really hammer home, and we really find as much content as possible on a specific area that you, the listener, can take away and apply to advancing your career, to reaching higher levels of competitiveness within the work that you're doing each and every day. And we're going to get that today with my guest, Lee Povey. But before I introduce Lee, I want to talk a little bit about Career Competitor, the coaching service. That's right. I'm full-time now in what it is I'm doing. I'm a life and performance coach. Life coach very much covers it right there with the title. Performance coach is all about working with people within their careers, looking to take their performance to new heights. That doesn't mean that we're failing. It just simply means that we're feeling as though we're capable of finding even greater levels of performance in what it is we're doing. You can go to my website, careercompetitor.com to learn a little bit more about me, about the service, even about the podcast. But you can also just go ahead and connect with me directly at steve at careercompetitor.com where you can set up your free 30-minute consultation with me and we can have a chat and figure out what it is I can do to help you find your optimal levels in anything and everything you would like to work on. So that's enough about me. Let's talk about my guest today, Lee Povey. Lee is a leadership and executive coach. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it, to what I was just talking about? But I'm delighted to have Lee on. He's much more established in his career as a, an executive coach currently. He comes from a background in sport just like myself as well. Lee spent many years as an international cycling coach working with some of the best cyclists around the world. Today, his focus is on his company, Maximize Your Potential Coaching. He's also recently co-founded Coach's Soul as well. So Lee has a couple of different ventures going on within the coaching world. But in terms of specifics, in terms of content that we're going to be talking about here today, Lee is going to really address the art of showing up, understanding that we have full control over how we react to the world that we live within. Because it's one thing to want to be competitive, to want to take your career to many, many new heights. But the one thing we have to address immediately at this still very early stage of the year and wherever you are within your career is that we take ownership over how we react to what it is we are doing each and every day. So Lee's going to go into some fantastic information regarding this. He's going to even provide you with a few examples of exercises, of tools that you can be using and even one or two books along the way too. So make sure you got a pen and paper handy because there's plenty of notes to take in this one today. And hey, if you're going to be a client to a coach anytime soon, we'd expect you to be a, a good student. So practice being a good student on this particular episode by taking some great notes, by paying attention to some of this awesome insight that Lee's about to provide all of you. So without any further delay, let's get to our interview with Lee Povey on the Career Competitor Podcast. And I hope you all enjoy. Okay, well, it gives me great pleasure to welcome in a fellow countryman in Lee Povey to the Career Competitor Podcast. First and foremost, Lee, you're over on the West Coast. How are you today? I'm lovely. A little bit bit grey today. 
um, yeah. which is not what I signed up for. I moved <laughs> deliberately for the sun. That is the the number one reason that I moved to California. <clears throat> and even Northern California was a little bit too chilly, so I had to move to Southern California just to make sure I got enough sun. Uh, well, all, all my all my family over in the Northwest likely listen to this. Um, I, I don't. I think they probably envy both our situations, no matter the grade that may be outside um, for you at the moment, mate. But just delighted to to have you on the show. We were fortunate to be introduced just a couple months ago, and so much of our stories um, really do collide. There's there's a lot of co- there's a lot of common themes within what we've gone through, getting us to this point of our of our careers. And you know, I would have gone over it in the intro a little bit in terms of what it is you're doing today. But in your own words, Lee, just tell everybody what it is you are up to today. Uh, so I'm a leadership and executive coach. Uh, I also have a company called Coaches Soul which is a company specifically for coaching sports coaches. Mm. So they're the, my two main areas. And really they're the same thing. It's leadership, developing leadership, how we uh, meet, connect with, and respond to the stimulus around us in a way that promotes leadership, promotes connection, promotes understanding and growth, both in ourselves and in others. Mm. Already so much to go into there, and I will I will refrain from um, from doing so immediately. I definitely want to get into some of that good stuff because the reason why we do have some common themes in our story is that we both come from the world of sports coaching. And I was I was standing around the water while you were standing around velodromes, uh, working with cyclists a lot over the years. And for you today to obviously be working in a number of different areas, maybe still with sport in a way, but at times mainly away from sport. For you, looking back now, what was it through your, let's say, performance coaching journey when you were working within cycling that made you realize, you know, this is me, this is for me. I feel like I'm in my domain here in terms of just being a coach. Hmm, Yeah, interesting question. This is for me. I think to begin with, it was actually a hard transition. So I came into it slightly differently from a lot of coaches. I was on the GB national team as a junior, so 17 to 18-year-old, realized that I wasn't going to be a world or Olympic champion. Like I was good, but I wasn't exceptional. I didn't have that talent level. So went a different career, went into real estate, worked for a large corporate company, then had my own company. And towards the end of having my real estate company, um, I started racing again a little bit more seriously myself. In, in track cycling, there's masters racing, which used to start 30 onwards and now starts 35 onwards. Mm. And it kind of got my interest again. I was racing against people my age, my peers, started getting a bit more serious about my training. And I was racing at the local velodrome and British cycling this time was creating this thing called the Talent Team Programme, which is a programme to find talent to go towards the Olympics. This was the early 2000s. And a local coach was working with some track sprint athletes and he was an endurance coach and he didn't know what to do with it. And he kind of invited me in to start doing some coaching. And I remember like, I, I wanted to compete with them. I wanted to beat all these kids. I hadn't made that shift yet to I'm here to serve them <laughs> as athletes. Yeah. I'm like, I'm still an athlete. Like, you know, I'm yeah. going to race these kids. I'm going to show them what for. And it took a while. And I remember being at the European Championships in Germany, Cottbus in Germany in 2007 sitting in the stands watching an athlete that I'd coached who is now being coached by the GB team and thinking, I don't want to go back to being a real estate agent anymore. Like my time there is done. And that was a creation of my cycling coaching business. And that was when the shift happened for me when it was like, oh, if I'm going to do this full time as a coach, 
I can still race myself, but my focus must always be on my athletes. Like they must be more important than me. And I used my own race and as a way of promoting my coaching. Um, and we'll probably come to it later. There's a thing in sports that people think if you are good at a sport, it will make you a good coach. Right. I personally disagree with that. <laughs> I too. think they're completely <laughs> different skill sets. Like yeah. the skill sets couldn't be more different in a way. Mm-hmm. But to get the, you know, to get that kind of kudos that you need for people to employ you, it doesn't hurt if you're successful in the sport yourself. So I started concentrating on myself. I took a year to prepare like I was a full-time cyclist and to go and win some master's races so that that would promote my business. So around there, I really started to see the difference of being an athlete and then what it means to be a coach and step into that role. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because for me, it's something I've always really strived to have looking back when I was working with athletes is, yes, my days of competing at their level were long gone. But in terms of in terms of them being able to look at me and say, to some extent, the proof is in the pudding in terms of, hey, this coach is asking this of me. And to a certain extent, he's asking it of himself as well. And for you to start out on your coaching journey by saying, listen, I'm actually going to take some of my philosophies and, and put them back into myself and show you that, hey, listen, if you, are, if you are a willing student, if you are a willing competitor, this can truly work for you. So when did you, when did you get to that point where I suppose the confidence in what you had done with yourself was now of a level where you felt truly confident standing in front of a group of athletes? I think for want of a, you know, for, for better or worse, being confident has never been a problem for me. Mm. I've always backed myself. Even when I felt unconfident, I backed myself to be able to survive. So as a real estate agent, your job, my job was to go into somebody's home and to get to convince them that I was a person to sell it for them. Mm-hmm. So I was practicing selling confidence to people. So that was a great, you think they're very different, but actually that training I learned there and the skills that I learned there, very useful for coaching, for generating confidence in groups and in athletes and knowing how to connect with people very quickly. I think part of it for me was realizing also that I wasn't selling myself or what I'd done what I was selling was the results that my athletes had achieved Mm. and that's really what it's about and the other thing that I realized early was to to get confidence and buy-in I should be able to explain anything I want an athlete to do with some real in-depth validation as to why we're going to do that I used Mm. to hear a lot of coaches say well this is what I want you to do and I would be why like what's the physiological or the emotional or the tactical or the technical reason why we're doing this? And often they couldn't explain it. Oh, this is the way we do it. Yeah, that's great. But why? Why is this the way? I'll give you an example. When I first moved to California, I was working at a a track in Northern California. And I moved there and I asked the local coaches, they were doing this warm up and I asked the local coaches, why do you warm up that way? And the response was, well, this is how we do it. And the warm up was like a race. Like everybody was trying to win the warm-up and I'm like that that's not for me that's not the process of a warm-up process of a warm-up is to get myself ready to be able to do that day's training and people were like cutting each other up in in this little warm-up group to be the first person across the line at the end of the warm-up like why do you warm up that way well that's the way we've always done it okay great what's the reason for doing it that way oh because that's the way we do it here I'm like yeah I hear that what's the actual (laughs) physiological and it was the response was that's the way we've always done it 
And that's not an answer for me. Mm. And that's not an answer for the athletes that I work with because we've always done it that way should never be the reason why. Mm. And if you can find a better way of doing it, then we should be doing that. It should never be this is because the way we've always done it. Which is is a really... I mean, I love the story because it, firstly, it resonates massively with me and I could give you a hundred more scenarios similar to that that I've experienced myself. But what it does is it allows us to very much seamlessly transition into what it is you're doing today. In And I, and I love the word stimulus that you use there when you were first explaining what it is you're doing, looking for specific stimulus around us to truly provoke this opportunity to connect to grow and maybe even start to notice some of the you know over uh, the, the the fundamental sort of fears that are at the core of why it is we're not allowing ourselves to grow so just going back to that story that you just provided there you know here you are working today as a coach working on things with human behavior specifically how much of your work truly begins right there with just literally having to talk to someone and look someone in the eye and address hey, we've just been doing it a specific way for so long now that we just assume this is the way that we're supposed to do it. Like, Talk to me a little bit about those initial conversations. Well, we can go further than that. And we can separate. Let's think about how we sharpen the world. So we sharpen the world in a particular way. So some of it is innate. Some of it is genetic. So science and data is showing more than we previously thought that personality traits can actually be genetic. So we are predetermined or predispositioned to show up in the world in a certain way. Then we get molded. We get molded by our family system. We get molded by our school system. You know, one of the reasons I want to coach sports coaches because men especially get molded by the coaching systems that they go into. It's a big environment for men and how they show up in those coaching systems. And we just get molded by everything that's going around us. And some of that molding becomes what we call a survival mechanism. So we create a way to live in the world, especially in our family units, that when we become adults and we're out of that family unit on a day-to-day basis, what got us through childhood might not serve us in adulthood. So a common one would be, you're that child that decides that you're going to make sure everybody else is okay first for you to be okay. So you're taking care of everybody else's needs. We don't really want children to do it. It should be the opposite. Adults should be taking care of the children's need until they're emotionally progressed enough to do so. But that doesn't always work. So you find that some children take care of their parents' needs emotionally. And the message they get from that is, if I make sure everybody else is okay, then I can be okay. And it's a never-ending journey because you can't make sure everybody else is okay. So you're always trying to make sure everybody else is okay and you never get seen yourself. You never get recognized yourself. Mm. And this is something I come up with often in my work. And how can we let that person let go of that old story and script that they must make sure everybody else is okay? Number one, you can't do it. I cannot be responsible for your emotional well-being. I can be here for you. I can support you, but I can't be responsible for it. Mm. And I definitely can't guess what you need. (laughs) which somebody in that pattern is trying to continually do. What does this person need? How do I meet their needs so that I can be okay? Mm. So when I'm working with somebody, we're looking at how would they show up if we removed all of these layers? What do they show up as the best version of themselves? And then what's getting in the way of it? What's these protective mechanisms they've built around themselves over decades that gets in the way of them just showing up as the best example of themselves? 
So that is a, a big part of how I connect with people and what we do. And then we can start getting into strategy. You know, like <clears throat> I'm listening to a podcast right now on one of my favorite people, Brené Brown. She's interviewing mm. James Clear, the guy that wrote Atomic Habits. Mm. That's strategy. So you've got the emotional component, like how do you show up? What's the mechanisms you've built to deal with the world? And then you've got strategy, right? Now, what can we put in place as techniques and tactics to help you knowing how you show up in the world to be more effective in what you do in a ways? Um, a really good tool for that is one from the book that I shared with you, Above and Below the Line. Have you got to that chapter yet? Uh, I don't think so. No, not yet. Okay. <laughs> I've actually... I've got it here. You've got it right here. Mine's not too far away. <laughs> <laughs> I use this one all the time. I'll have to look through and see what chapter it's in. But yeah. I, I use that a lot. This concept of, and this, this ties into what you said about stimulus, this concept of the world presents things to us. The only thing we are capable of controlling is our response to it. Yeah. So one of the best examples of this is Viktor Frankl. Do you know who Viktor Frankl is? I don't know. Okay. So he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. It's about his experience of being in a Nazi concentration camp during the Second World War in Germany as a Jewish person. He was also a psychologist. So he documented in his mind, wasn't allowed to write anything down or keep notes, but he documented mm. in his mind the experiences of everybody around him. And the one thing he took from this whole thing, or the first half of the book is, the only thing we can control is how we respond to the world and how it's coming to us, our choices we make from that stimulation. Because there was people in the concentration camp that just gave up and died. This is too hard. I can't survive. And there was others under the same conditions that were still managing to find joy in some ways. Mm. And he realized it was how they looked to the situation, how they internalized it, and then what they chose to do from it. And then he wrote a whole... Uh, the, the second half of the book is kind of like his theory on life and his psychological model from this experience. Incredibly powerful book. I remember being back in the UK when I first read it, sitting in the bath after a hard training session, just bawling my eyes out. Like just <laughs> what an experience to read. Yeah. And that's what I really resonate. This yeah. you are going to get, you can't control the world. We cannot mm. control everything much as we try. So you've got all of this stuff coming at you. How are you going to choose to respond to it? And is that choice going to be healthy for you or is it going to be detrimental for you? Yeah, I love all this. I mean, you know, a big part of having you on, Lee, for me, is I start my journey beyond sports coaching is learning from you and listening to this and, and, and being able to become a better coach through, through sitting here speaking with you. And one thing I've already started to realize is the as coaches, the way in which we use certain words and, and teaching our clients to use words effectively and, and, and impactfully. And here you are using a term like show up. And I think, when you use that term, it's almost immediately saying, I'm giving myself over to the environment that I'm walking into, but under the under the knowledge that it is under my control in terms of how I start to respond to this stimulus around me. And so for me, I am truly just completely fascinated and loving every step of this process for myself right now as a coach as I start to hear how other coaches are using specific wordage in a way to truly deliver the message of what it is they are asking for from their client and then when you start to work on this idea of showing up to places what what sort of tools or what sort of 
possible I, mean, I think I think toolkit is probably the best way to go about it. You know, in terms of showing up, being in that moment, giving yourself over slightly and understanding and embracing that it's about how you respond. Is there maybe one or two tips that you would give to a client early on on dealing with this? Yeah. So there's a worksheet in the 15 Commitments to Conscious Leadership book that the above and below the line. Mm. You locate yourself below the line. So I use this worksheet with people a lot. You you locate yourself below the line. This is your mm. emotional response in the moment. Yeah. There's a book by um, Dr. Steve Peters, who was the sports psychologist for the GB cycling team, called The Chimp Paradox. <clears throat> and I like mixing these two together because what he concentrated on is how your brain works. So you have your chimp. This is your emotional reaction prompt. Then you have your brain, let's call that our conscious identity. Mm. And then you have the computer, which is your stored memories. The chimp is going to react. We see people do it all the time. Somebody cuts you up in a traffic, you give them the finger, you scream at them. That's yeah. your chimp. Okay. Yeah. Now you can have that emotional reaction internally without having the physical reaction of flipping them the bird or mm. screaming at them. Right. And you can stop yourself there and go, maybe this person's having a bad day. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're rushing to the hospital to see somebody. Maybe they've just got fired. I'm looking at them and thinking they're doing this to me. Mm -hmm. And they're not. I'm just a byproduct of what's happening for them. And I have no idea what their story is. Now, I can have my emotional reaction. That's still going to happen. I'm still going to have a moment of anger. I'm being threatened. Mm. If I then just feel that, let that go, where would I choose to respond from a place of kindness rather than a place of blame? Like they're trying to piss me off. They're trying to get me. How, what, where, if, I, if I reach into my empathy, would I choose a different response? Mm -hmm. And this is where this above and below the line model comes in. So you look at the below the line model, you realize, okay, my chimp is activated. It reaches into the computer, the stored memories, and my initial memory response is to flip on the bird, right? Mm -hmm. So now I have to slow that down, take a breath, feel it. Uh, I am angry and it's okay to be angry. And then how do I want to choose to respond from here, knowing that my story that this person is trying to do this to me may or may not be true, but it is a story. I have mm. no data about how this person feels about me. I have no data about what's going on in their life. How can I reach them from empathy? Be curious, be, I wonder what's going on for them. I wonder why they might have chosen to do that. And bringing that empathy and curiosity to your response is where the big growth area is. And we get stuck in these habits because our chimp gets angry or afraid, yeah. which then leads to anger or sad. Yeah. And then it reaches into the computer and goes, what's my stored memory for this situation? How do right. I respond? Yeah. <clears throat> and that links in with what I was talking about before, the survival mechanism. How do I respond? That's my survival mechanism for this situation. And then having that pause to go, do I want to pick that? Or do I want to put a new thought into the computer? Do I want to put a new response into the computer? And my response is going to be coming from a place of love. Hmm. And, and I don't mean that in like, you know, flower power, love man, love everybody. Sure. It's like, what would it be if I met them as a human being? If we were walking down a corridor together, it was somebody I loved and they bumped into me by mistake because they were writing a text next to me. Right. Would I flip them with a bird and tell them that, I think they're an arsehole. Right. Or would I be like, hey, Bob. Watch where you're going. Where are you going there, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> you know, my response would be different. Yeah. 
So it's, it's, it's how do we take what the world has given us, hmm. see what's for us, let the rest of it drift past us, and then from a conscious place, choose how I want to respond to the word used earlier, the stimulation that is coming at me. How do I want to respond to it? Yeah. So that's the kind of tool set that I would use with people. The mental model of the, the chimp, the computer, uh, your conscious self, so people can see and understand how their brain works, and then put it into this context of above and below the line. Stuff's mm. going to happen to me. I might get caught speeding. And you could say, well, I have some responsibility in that if I am speeding, but I might get right. caught speeding. Am I going to be angry with the policeman or am I going to say, I was speeding? Yeah. I pay my fine and I move on. Yeah. Some people would carry that anger for weeks. And all they would do is tell you every time you saw them, I got caught speeding. It was so unfair. Or was it really? Were you speeding? Yeah. It's, I love, I, what I love so much about this is it, it all comes down to the response because whether it's your, whether it's your specific scenario there of, of being cut off by another driver or this version of a scenario that you created neither of those scenarios is any less right or wrong than the other so you're you're there in this moment where you have to decide how am i going to respond with hate or am i going to respond with love am i going to respond with anger or am i going to respond with empathy you know it's it literally comes down to the response and the response alone when you start to give yourself over to this way of thinking and and that's why for me I start to get so wrapped up in this idea of how how can we be as present as possible each and every single day because that in itself has is as great a challenge as we can ever put in front of us in my opinion on a day-to-day basis because you're talking about the difference between maybe having a bad morning with the kids trying to get them ready for school and then being in the office 30 minutes later and being able to put that 30 minutes behind you that you've experienced at home and not be this potential version of yourself that's going to have a bad impact on other people that's going to force them to have to figure out how to respond to you now you're maybe bringing some of that negativity to the world and for me it's just this incredible back and forth right and wrong left and right however you want to put it but as you put it there with the conscious line and it is a book that you and i are both reading right now that i can't recommend enough and i'll put it in the notes on this particular episode because it is a fantastic book and i i simply can't read it fast enough i'm trying to get it done so i can get all these chapters done so we can talk about it properly lee but <laughs> um but at the same time at the same time it, it is it is a choice whether you're a conscious or unconscious leader whether you're a um, you know a passive driver or an angry driver whatever it may be you know there, there's these opportunities to respond in the moment and you know for you obviously it sounds like this is just an an enormous part of your teaching method i just think it's a really uh, a really succinct way of looking at the world am i Mm. at the effect of the world or am i controlling how i respond to the world so there's those two positions to be in the stimulation or the stimuli or the events are always going to be the same Stuff's going to happen. Stuff is happening all the time. Mm-hmm. All I can do to go back to Viktor Frankl is be in control of how I respond to it. That's the only thing I'll ever have in my life is how I respond. I can't control other people. I can't control the planet. I can't control COVID. You know, what a, what a two years we've just been through. Yeah, what a great example. It's a worldwide pandemic. Mm-hmm. Some people have lent into it yeah. and gone, here's an opportunity. Other people have been, this is the worst thing that's happened. Mm. Um, You know, one of the pivotal moments for me as a human was 
I crashed in 2010, in the summer of 2010, and broke my shoulder, my left shoulder, really badly, like every bone in my body. And it's one of the most pivotal moments of a life. I wouldn't be in America, probably, if that hadn't have happened. Because I looked at everything. It was the first time I was truly vulnerable. I thought until then I was unbreakable. And I was like, no, here's my humility. Here's my vulnerability. Yeah. Right in my face. <laughs> I have an arm that doesn't work right now. I had to have two operations on it before I could use my arm properly. I'd always been super sporty. You know, I'm six foot two, 200 pounds, 90 kilos. I'm a fairly big guy. So I'd always had some kind of presence with that. And suddenly... I'm vulnerable. I can't protect myself. I can protect my girlfriend. Things I hadn't even really consciously thought about. Mm. I remember walking down the street and thinking, what happens if we get mugged right now? Is my arms in the sling? And I'd never even really thought about that before. So my humility and my vulnerability was really triggered. And it made me renegotiate all my relationships because people couldn't see me as vulnerable. Even with my arm in, in a sling, I wasn't able to demonstrate my vulnerability to people. I asked a friend to, to give me a lift to the hospital for my first operation. I have never been so so afraid, Steve. I was mm. petrified. Mm. I'd never had an operation. <clears throat> the most I'd had is like, you know, little scrapes and scratches patched up or some stitches. Never been in a hospital properly. And I was petrified. I was like, what if I don't wake up from the anesthetic? What if the operation doesn't go correctly? Like, I was very scared. I asked a friend to give me a lift to the hospital. And he was like, oh, just get a cab, mate. You'll be okay. And I didn't realize what I was asking for was not a lift to the hospital. I was asking somebody to sit next to me and be there with my fear with me and go, it's going to be okay, buddy. Right. And when you get out, I'll be there to pick you up and take you home. It's going to be okay. And I had to renegotiate a bunch of friendships. Uh, The girl I was dating at the time, I'd been dating for four years and she was a lovely woman. Our relationship worked when I was okay. And she was vulnerable. Now it flipped. And we didn't know how to have that relationship. We were split up within six weeks. Wow. So I look at that and now I could have said that was a really bad thing. And like for seven months, I couldn't train and it affected my work. Instead, I look back and go, that taught me this huge life lesson about what I could control and who I wanted to be, how I wanted to show up and how I was showing up. Mm-hmm. I got this massive reflection from people that I was showing up as somebody who was always okay, even when I wasn't. So they didn't know how to meet me as somebody who was vulnerable and needed support. And I didn't know how to ask for it. Yeah, that's a fantastic example. And again, I, as you're talking, I'm reflecting, I'm thinking, yeah, I can, I can see these same important moments in my own life too. And I'm sure people listening are like, God, yeah. I mean, I guess that scenario that happened to me was very much um you know the same sort of situation very defining in many ways and 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 also make you reflect and think how many of those moments have gone by where i haven't used it as an opportunity to be defining and i've allowed it to come and go and i've been negative about it or whatever it might be so just just great stuff lee and you know for anyone listening so far if you're looking to make enhancements advancements however you want to put it in in terms of your performance within your career as long as you're listening carefully enough, you're certainly getting that from this particular episode. But we are a show that has the name competitor right there in the in the in the title. And here you are, background of sport. You've referenced it a couple of times, competitive guy. But today, how do you fill that particular maybe competitive jug, let's call it, on a day-to-day basis? Is, is there such a thing as a win in your mind anymore? Like what what does the competitor Lee look like today? Well, this was one of the things that came from breaking my shoulder. You know, 
part of that journey was, did I want to be a competitive athlete anymore? Like this was a, you know, a real stop moment. I couldn't train. I couldn't, I, mean, I could go to the gym and do leg press and that was about it. I couldn't ride a bike. I could ride a stationary bike. I hate riding stationary bikes. So I wasn't <laughs> going to be doing that as a hobby. Yeah. So it made me stop and think, what did I actually want? And, and was it the winning that was driving me? And it was. And I realized that that wasn't bringing me joy. So what would bring me joy? And the conclusion I came to was, it's actually the process that matters to me the most. So the process of being the best version of myself. And this is, again, something I use a lot in my work. If you're looking for the wins, then you don't enjoy every day. Because it's hard to always find wins on every day. You know, you know, it's like, Steve, you're a serious athlete. You go to some training sessions and some training sessions are a real grind. Yeah. And if you're training properly, you know, when you're in heavy training blocks, sometimes you go slower because you're putting effort in the bank that's going to allow you to go faster when you have your taper and you get to your big competition. Yeah. So sometimes there's blocks when you're just not performing very well. Hmm. And if it's only about the winning, I, I used to coach a master's athlete who was only happy if he won. And he was good. So he did win, but he didn't win all the time. And if he didn't win, life was over. So I took that lesson and I thought, what do I actually want to do? And I want to bring your word, which is a great word. I want to bring presence to what I do. So then I just started leaning into enjoying the training sessions for the sake of the training session. Mm. What can I get out of today's training session? How can I show up as the best version of me? I guess that's the win. I didn't kind of think of it quite like that. I thought, Am I present? Am I enjoying the company of my training partners? Am I enjoying what am I doing? Am I enjoying the physicality of it? Am I working on my technique? And I forget about winning. Mm -hmm. Winning becomes a byproduct of just being the best version of myself every day. You get to the event, and if you're the best person, you'll win. If somebody else is better, but I'm the best version of me, if I'm the best version of me that I've ever been on that day, I'm delighted like the actual where, where I finished on the podium or where my athletes finished on the podium when I was coaching, if they showed up, executed, did everything they could do, I was just as happy. Mm. And my athletes will tell you, you know, I got, I hate to use the word frustrated. I look back and I think there was times I wasn't the best coach I could have been, but I'm going to use the word frustrated. Yeah. I got frustrated with my athletes when they won a competition, but they weren't the best version of themselves. They executed mm. poorly and they won because they were genetically more gifted mm -hmm. or their training was better, but not because they'd actually executed the things that we were working on. And they'd come off and I'd say, you know, how did that go? Oh, wow. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. you didn't do this though. And you didn't yeah. do that. And this was glaring. And there'd be other times they'd come off and I'd say, you know, how'd you do it? Oh, I lost. And I'm like, yeah, but look at how well you know, look at how right. well you rode. Look at right. how you executed the tactics. Mm. For me, that was the win. You're going to get better. You're going to continue improving. You're going to beat this person next time. So that shift for me from winning is the goal to being excellent is the goal. To enjoying the process is a goal. To really getting granular about the each individual steps and just working on all of those. Mm. It took all the pressure off. When I got to the race day, I wasn't thinking about winning. I was thinking about executing. So just be good. And mm. if I'm good enough, I'll win. And if I'm not, someone else will win. And that's right. okay. And I yeah. won more. So here's the funny thing. I won way more with that approach. And at 45, <laughs> still did my fastest time ever on a bike mm. than before with the approach of I'm here to win. Yeah. And that was, that was probably what I was going to sum up as well as that 
I, I got to a similar point as an athlete and also as a coach <clears throat> working in the sport of swimming like that. I, I actually got to a point where I was so comfortable with the process that I was providing, with the environment and the culture I was providing to the athletes that I suddenly found so much more acceptance over the result. But funnily enough, the results got better. <laughs> you know, so it was it was such a it was such a funny scenario and sequence of events but it's so true it's so powerful and I, I hear it and see it in so many directions when people are willing to truly invest in the process as you put it and again I use words like how do you win but at the same time this is this is how you define success in many ways like what the word defining success we could have a whole nother episode just talking about that in terms of what that means to people and people really wrestle with that because they can't put a definition on it but when you can actually truly embrace and invest yourself in the process, you're so much more accommodating to the result. And in that is such a success. That ability to give yourself to the moment and allow the result just to be is actually a massive, massive success. And and again, I'm sure some people are hearing this and thinking, what are you talking about? If I lose, I, I get it. But trust me, there there's a way to get there in time and truly understand what Lee's presenting here because it is powerful. It very much is. Uh, it, it very much is something that will guide you to levels of success that you probably have never anticipated getting, and it's uh, a huge reason as to why I wanted uh, wanted you to join the show today. But uh, one thing I definitely want to give you the chance just to give us a bit more information on is is the work you're now doing with Coach's Soul because we've talked about this previously, and, and for me, it's something I, I'm just such a supporter and advocate for. And it couldn't have come at a better time is, you know, again, the world continues to adapt to post-COVID and getting back to full-time coaching and what that looks like, et cetera. Just talk to me a little bit about the initiative and just everything that you're trying to do with it. Yeah, so uh, I'm partnered with a woman called Miriam Gless, friend of ours, mm-hmm. lady that inter- introduced us. And uh, she's a former Olympian, two-time Olympian, got a great story. Um, she's French, so she's competed for France and Australia, where she moved after um, competing in so two different Olympics for two different countries. So in, in itself, that's a pretty impressive Crazy. date as a synchro swimmer. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then she became the head of uh, US synchro swimming. Mm. So <laughs> she's just had an incredible journey, which is so useful to what we want to do because you bring so much validity to what we're Mm. doing so much experience so our mission is to support coaches this is sports coaches in their emotional development their soft skill development their communication their community development how do they show up as leaders as coaches and there's a huge crossover from what i do in the leadership world you know it's the same stuff and interestingly there's a lot of emotional coaching, leadership coaching going on in the executive world Mm. and not a lot in the sports world. We just expect sports coaches to naturally be good leaders. And as we talked about earlier, a lot of sports coaches are ex-athletes. As an athlete, your job, especially at the elite level, is to be the most selfish human being on the planet. Mm -hmm. Everybody is there to support you being the best version of you that you can be. So you have really support staff, nutritionist, strength and conditioning coach, tactics coach, team coach, head coach. And they're all there to help you be the best version of you so you can go and win your gold medal. Then you become a coach. It's completely opposite. Your job is to be there for everybody else. And we just expect people to know this. And they're incredibly different skill sets. And it mm-hmm. takes time and work. 
And the other part of this, and I'm sure you've experienced it, I've experienced it, is coaches, sports coaches, can be very pivotal in people's lives. Often they're working with developmental athletes, younger athletes, and their rethoughts and their team ethos can make or break a human being. You know, that, that ethos can be bullying. That ethos can be nurturing. That ethos mm-hmm. can be what we're talking about here, which is focus on the process, which you then take into the rest of your life and is very powerful. Or it can be, we win at all costs and mm-hmm. anything other than winning is failure. And we're failures if we don't win, which people then take into the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. You know, I work with CEOs and a lot of them are what we would call successful. They're wealthy. They live in nice neighborhoods. They have nice families. And they're sitting in front of me and they're like, Lee, I don't feel fulfilled and I don't feel happy because they've done what they think is a traditional model of success. They won, but there's no emotional happiness. There's this miss of connection. And if I can just do a a really quick bit of teaching, if we look at emotions, sadness tends to be in the past. It's grief. It's loss. It's what I had. Fear tends to be in the future. It's like, what may come? What will I do? How will I cope? Anger and joy are in the moment. Anger, how do I respond to that person cutting me off? Do I get angry or do I let it go? Joy, how present? I mean, I I love that you kept using that word. How present am I right now? Mm -hmm. Present and joy are very closely linked. If you are present, like me and you are very present in this conversation with each other, and I'm really enjoying the conversation because (laughs) we are present with each other. We're sharing this moment together. Mm -hmm. I'm not thinking about, the articles I need to write tomorrow or the business stuff I need to do. I'm, we're having this connection, right? Mm-hmm. And being connected and having these moments that we share with other human beings is where the joy is. And when you're leading, often you're thinking of the future. What will happen? What do I need to do? Or the past. It was better in the past. I have some grief for like when I was an athlete and I was selfish, it was easy. Now I've mm-hmm. got all of these people that rely on me. My job is to bring people back to the present, bring people back to the process and help them stay in that moment and help them trust that they have the knowledge and the skill set to stay in the moment or not have to keep thinking about the future or not longing for the past. Amazing. And for me, it, what's so funny about it is it it's, it's another example of that same story, that same example that you gave earlier with getting cut off in, a, in, in the traffic in terms of how we treat coaches and how we work with uh, sports coaches it's easy to point the finger it's easy to point the finger and say they should know they should know they should know but if we if we approach this from a place of love from empathy and we say listen maybe they've not been given the type of attention required to develop said soft skill in, in a particular situation whatever it might be well now we're approaching it from a place where we are allowing ourselves to say hey we are trying to be successful in a way where we can actually start to embrace a process, embrace an environment, and and start to respond to these stimulus that are out there. Um, that hey, you know, that they may have evoked some bad reactions in the past, but now this is the version that we're bringing to the situation from now on, and 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 that's awesome, and that's a great a great mission to have between yourself and Miriam. Um, and you know, I you know you know you've got one of the biggest fans of athlete soul and now coaching soul um in 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 terms of what's going on over there but lee this has been 
an absolute pleasure, even more so than I anticipated it being. And, and to your point that you said earlier, that ability for the two of us just to be present and, and have an opportunity to speak like this and enjoy one another's company. Um, I hope anyone listening to, was able to remain present and do the exact same. And for anyone that's maybe looking to learn a little bit more about yourself, your services, the whole nine yards, um, tell everyone where they can find out more about, about yourself. Yeah, so um, I'm not great on social media. In fact, I've just hired somebody to help me with social media. <laughs> my wife's awesome. So my wife's a psychotherapist. She has 15,000 followers on Instagram. She's oh my goodness. In a year. She has a great voice. People love her. I think I've got 600. But yeah, maximize your potential coaching, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Come talk to me, reach out to me. I offer three 30-minute coaching sessions for anybody who's interested in talking about what this entails, what emotional coaching is, what coach mentoring is and how we support people. So yeah, I'd love to talk to you. Awesome. Well, Lee, pleasure, like I said, and, and just delighted to have you on the show and, and thanks again for your time, mate. Thank you. Delighted to have Lee be the one that gets our interviews off and running for 2022. I'm so glad that we're doing it the way we're doing it as well by having a specific focus within the interviews because how can the one how can this particular message not be the perfect message to get your year off and running I know we're a month into it already and I'm sure you've established some success for yourself but if you maybe are someone that's feeling as though their year is off to a somewhat flat start that you're maybe not having that same level of fulfillment in the work that you're doing well Let's stop. Let's collect ourselves. Let's have a think. How are we showing up each and every day? Are we reacting in a way that we are taking control from a conscious standpoint of what it is we need to be doing, of how it is we need to be behaving in order to make sure that we are advancing ourselves, that we are building upon our successes, and that we are reinvesting in the process at hand, being as present as possible in the work that you're doing. There's about four or five things right there that you can be working on that you can stop and take some time, 15, 20 minutes today. Just have a little think. How can you do those sort of things better? So again, thanks so much to Lee for joining us, for bringing so much of this content to our attention. And in the meantime, I'm currently working on a ton of interviews, doing a lot of recording. So I'm just excited about the amount of diversity about the different personalities, different walks of life and career differences that we're going to be bringing on to the Career Competitor Podcast through 2022 for you. And that's what it's about. We are providing a service here that's going to make you as educated, as aware as possible of the types of ways that you can be advancing your career. So keep coming back for more. I hope you enjoyed this particular episode. Let me know what you thought. Leave me a rating. Maybe if you're listening to us on iTunes, click that fifth star before you leave. I always appreciate that. And feel free to reach out to me. Like I said there at the beginning, steve at careercompetitor.com. Even if you're not looking for any coaching right now, just reach out, introduce yourself. I'd love to hear from you. You can always connect with me through LinkedIn as well with Steve Mallard. Just search for my name. I'm on there, very active. And hey, if you're maybe a perfect candidate to join the show or you know someone, I'm continuing to add to the list of guests that I've got already building for 2022. So feel free to introduce yourself and be considered to join the show as well. But in the meantime, listen, keep up the great work that you're doing. Keep listening to the Career Competitor Podcast. It's only going to set you up for success. I guarantee you that. And I look forward to speaking with you all again very soon. Bye for now. Bye for now.